19 here this week. Next week we're going to do Exodus 20. And then we're going to probably be done in our study through Exodus. Still kind of praying about where we're going to go next. We may kind of just kind of continue this idea of going through a little bit of the law. One of my favorite studies we've ever done out here is when we went through Leviticus and we talked about each of the sacrifices and how they represent Jesus Christ. So I'm hoping we can maybe go through that again. If you haven't worked with us with that last study, man, it's just amazing to see that. So often we skip a book like the book of Leviticus. It's just full of rules and laws. But when you really look at it through the eyes of Jesus, remember Christ said the whole book is written about me. The whole book. I love going into the Old Testament there and saying, okay, Lord, where are you at? Let's see you in here. So Exodus 19, this is the preamble to them getting the Ten Commandments and getting the law. So this chapter is a chapter of preparation as we get a chance to get ready for them to get the law here next week. The Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. So verse 1 of Exodus 19. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they have departed from Rephidim and have come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. It's important to know what these words mean. Rephidim means rest. So they left the land of rest and they came to Sinai, which means thorny. So rest to thorns. Now there's some symbolism there. Because when they get the law, the law is not rest. The law is work. The law is rule after rule after rule to keep yourself right and pure in God. So what you're going to see here tonight, as we go through Exodus 19, this is going to be a contrast to Jesus. So keep that in the back of your mind. As we go through this, look at all the hoops they need to jump through to prepare themselves to even get the law. And then we're going to compare this to what we have in Jesus Christ here today. So they have left rest and they've come now to the thorns. That is represented by the law, and it's going to be difficult. Verse 3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them the words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now, real quick, God's not going to force anything on you. You know, if I don't want to be saved, he's not going to make me saved. He's not going to force this covenant relationship with the Jews. He goes to them and says, guys, listen, look at my track record here. Look at my resume. I got you out of Egypt. I took care of you for these last three months. You know, I took you almost as an eagle's wings and just rescued you and saved you. Now, if you want to be my people, you will be my people. You will be my special people. You will be my kingdom, my holy nation. So Moses goes to the elders of Israel and says, guys, here's the deal. Do we want to do this? And they said, yes. Now, just think about this. Every now and then I hear these believers talk about God pushing them or forcing them. Man, the Lord will never push you or force you into anything. Now, he will lead you. He will convict you. He will guide you. But he's not going to force you to do anything. Because if the Lord forces you into obedience, that is no longer a relationship of love. If God forces you to do his will, then how is this a loving father-son, father-daughter relationship. He does not force anything on Israel. He says, guys, here's the deal. I want this. I want you to be my people. Do you want it? They come back and said, yes, we do. 
So since they said, yes, we do, now we get to the preparation. Verse 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You just out bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a, not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Now, note Old Testament. Hey, do you want to have a relationship with God? Get yourself cleaned up. Get yourself ready. So if you want a relationship with the Lord, first thing you need to do, verse 10, you need to wash your clothes. You need to wash yourself. You need to get ready. And this is going to take about three days. Now note, they're not even going to meet God. He's going to come down on the mountain. Only Moses gets to go up. But for them to even be in the presence of this, to be even near the Lord's presence on the mountain, you're going to spend three days getting your clothes ready and washing. And then a big reminder here, hey, don't touch the mountain. Verse 12, don't go near the mountain. If you go near the mountain, you're going to die. And in fact, the way we have to kill you is we have to shoot you from a distance. Because we can't even go near the mountain to kill you for touching the mountain. That's how holy God is. And also one even step further, verse 15, husbands, stay away from your wives. We've got to be pure in all things. This is Old Testament. This completely blows my mind when I run into people that want to live in the Old Testament. I do not want to live in the Old Testament. Nothing with it. This idea of the Old Testament, and I hear these people talk about the excitement of this. That's not excitement. That's fear. I have five little boys. My boys would be running up the mountain. They'd been shot with an arrow. That's what would happen. I would have to make sure I'm washed appropriately and don't touch this and don't do this. I don't want anything to do with that. I love grace. I love mercy. So think about all this. Old Testament, you got to get yourself clean. you got to make sure you're not touching. And you got to make sure you're keeping yourself pure. Aren't you thankful that in the New Testament, Jesus says, I'll wash you of your sins. Jesus says in the New Testament, I'll give you the Holy Spirit to convict you, to keep you from touching those things that you shouldn't touch. Where he says, I will give you God's word and God's word will keep you pure. That's the relationship I want. That's the relationship I'm looking for. Let's build on this a little bit. Can you go with me to Psalm 119? Psalm 119, please. As you're going to Psalms, just listen to this wonderful passage out of 1 Corinthians 6. You were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Think of this. You were washed, made clean. You're going to Psalm 119. You were sanctified, which means set apart, You were justified. Justified means just as if I never sinned all through Jesus Christ. You have done absolutely nothing to save yourself or to make yourself approachable or holy in the eyes of God. He has done absolutely everything. That is the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament was full of these rules and regulations that you were set up and bound to fail in. 
We're going through Romans on Sunday. So you know what Paul says in Romans. The purpose of the law was to show you that you're a sinner. The purpose was to make it so completely, utterly difficult that after trying to keep God's holy standards in Leviticus, that you would throw your hands up in the air and say, Lord, I can't do this. And God would say, that's the whole point. Because if you could do it, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? So Christ washes you. Christ sanctifies you. Christ justifies you. And that is what makes you pure. How do we keep in this purity? Well, obviously it's all Christ. But here are some of the steps we can take. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I love this passage in Psalms. If you're looking for a psalm to study, go to Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. But I tell you, after you get done studying this, man, you have a real appreciation of what God's Word is. I'm going to read this out of the NIV. I like the way the NIV reads this a little bit better. Psalm 119. And let's go ahead and start here in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Stop right there. Don't read ahead, please. One of the biggest questions I get as a pastor is I get young men coming up to me. Young men that have found themselves looking at pornography online. Young men that find themselves looking at women as they walk by. Young men that are having a hard time staying pure in an impure world. So when they come up and say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I can't battle this temptation. Now read the second half. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. That's all it is. Be in God's word. Now that's too simple, isn't it? Right out there in that carport, it's 15 years ago, and a guy come up to me, struggling with those same things. Came up to me, said he didn't know what to do. It was a struggle, it was a battle, it was hurting his marriage, it was hurting everything, it was hurting his relationships. How do I stay pure in an impure world? World. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, you can stay pure by living according to the word of God. Said that won't work, left, never came back to church. Now, Either God's right or he's right. God's word just tells me right here that as a young man, I can be pure if I live according to the word. Think about that. You hear me say this all the time. Do you believe that or do you not believe that? And I don't even care what it is. You're having a hard time with inappropriate language. You're having a hard time with drinking. You have a hard time with lusting. You have a hard time with gossip. You have a hard time with fear. Whatever it is, God's word promises you right here in Psalm 119, verse 9, that you can stay pure in that area if you live according to the word of God. That's why it is so vital for us as believers to be giving out scripture, not our opinions. That's why it's so vital for us as believers to be giving people God's word rather than talking to them for an hour. God's word is what's going to impact your heart. That's why it's so important for us as a church to just constantly keep presenting God's word. Do you realize how easy counseling is? You point them towards Jesus and you give them the scriptures. That's all you got to do. Verse 10. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Let's just be perfectly blunt. Some people may be sitting here tonight saying, I've tried this. I've memorized the passages. I've read the verses. I have them up on my fridge like you say. I have them marked. I have them underlined. I have them circled. Just be honest. Have you sought them with all your heart? 
A lot of times I think I'm seeking God with all my heart, and I'm really not. I'm seeking him with all my heart for 10 minutes in the morning while I do devotions. I'm seeking him with all my heart for a few minutes here and a few minutes there. But this mindset of all day, Lord, I'm seeking you. And I don't mean this legalistically. I'm saying, Lord, I just want you. It's a battle. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How, how do you keep from sinning? By putting God's word in your heart. Now, just, just memorizing scripture does not keep you from sin. If that was true, my kids wouldn't sin. Because we have had them memorize scripture. And they memorize scripture, then 30 seconds later, sin against that scripture. I have the scriptures memorized. I know the verses on the things, and I still sin. But here's the point. When you put God's word into your heart, that is a weapon that can come out in that time of sin and temptation. So all of a sudden, when that sin pops up, I've memorized that passage. The Holy Spirit brings that to my mind, and right there, I got a weapon. I got a sword that I can use to swing against this. Verse 12, praise be to you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. That's just seeking the Lord. Lord, teach me. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. My mouth, excuse me. How often are you quoting scripture? How often when you're in just the silence of your own car, when you're just in your own time of prayer, are you just, just, Lord, those verses come to mind. I find myself a lot more, the older I get, praying passages in the Bible. Just really, just, just those passages, just praying those. I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. That's a convicting verse. Imagine going home. Pick any dollar amount you want. So you find this unbelievable amount of money right there on your doorstep. Now you know it's not yours. So you do what's right. You call the cops. You do everything. And they say, hey, if no one claims this, whatever, 30 days it's yours. You mark it on the calendar. 30 days comes back, and you get to go back, and you get to claim that free and clear. How much joy would you have? How much joy would you have in great riches if somebody would come and say, right now, I'll just pay off your mortgage. I'll pay off all your debt. I'll give you enough money that you and your descendants will be set. Do you have that same joy as one who rejoices in following God's word. We don't, do we? We don't. I mean, do you get up every morning and just say, oh my goodness, I got a Bible. I get to read it. That's amazing. Don't show your hands because we'll all be embarrassed. How many of you had a hard time finding your Bible tonight? How many of you didn't even bring one because you couldn't find it? I mean, we've all been down there before. Now, imagine that that Bible had a dollar figure on it. That Bible was not just a Bible. It was 100000 in cash. You would never let that thing out of your sight. You'd put it in a briefcase and handcuff it to your wrist. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Psalm 119 is one of the most powerful psalms in the Bible. And I, my favorite section of Psalm 119 is verses 9 through 16. But what I see as I read through 9, 6 through 16 is the idea of how can a man live pure in an impure word, world. It, it keeps coming back to God's word. 
It does. And you've heard me say that for years, and for you will hear me say it, I hope, for years to come. It's all about being in the Word. And so what happens is when I see Exodus 19, and it's like, okay, you want to even get close to the mountain? Wash up, don't touch, stay pure, put your effort into it for three days, and hopefully you can come. What I see in the New Testament is, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give you the washing of the water of the Word, and that's what's going to keep you pure in an impure world. And that's what God does. You see the contrast. God is still the same. I hate it when people talk about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. He's still the same God. He still demands holiness. But that holiness comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So, don't touch, stay washed, stay pure. Old Testament, a whole lot of effort. New Testament, Holy Spirit, God's Word. Never forget that. That's the only thing you get out of tonight other than how good the meal was, is that God's word, Psalm 119, man, you will be blessed. Anybody got any quick questions, comments, before we move on here with anything else? Alrighty, so, what happens next? We talked about them being pure. Uh, We talked about them washing. We talked about them not touching the mountain. Verse 16, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest they break out against them. Then Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. That is the holiness of God, that we are not able to get near or touch or anything. Now, when you read this, God comes across as almost being, um, I, I don't know why, this almost sounds sacrilegious to say. It almost sounds like being a bit of a jerk. You know, don't come near me. Don't, don't even gaze at me. Make sure there's boundaries set up. Actually, and I heard a pastor teach on this, so I'm going to steal his point. He, he says, imagine fathers, you wrestling with your two-year-old. I sure hope you don't go all out. I can remember as a kid boxing with my dad. And I can remember hitting him and him going down. And every time we fought, he got up at the nine count. Every time. And as a kid, I kept thinking, this time he's going to stay down for ten count. And I would pace around and walk around. And so now when I wrestle with my boys, they have these different levels. It's bronze, silver, gold. And so what happens is the younger ones, Kenan, Layden will say, Dad, go bronze. Go bronze. Judah, Dad, Dad, go silver. Now, Elias, Dad, go gold. And, and if you're familiar with games, he says, Dad, I want you to be an elite seven, level 50 gold, is what he says. Go full. Now, if I go full, 
I'm going to crush him. I can just lay on him. You know what I mean? I weigh 150 pounds more than he does. You never go full. God right here is almost the father with the toddler saying, Hey, don't, just, just keep your distance. Back up a little bit. Back up. I can remember the first time watching my dad weld. And he's like, okay, James, don't look at the light. Stay away. So what do you do as a kid? You stare right at the light. You know what I mean? That's a loving father. He's not being mean. He's being protective. Don't look at the light. Stay away from the sparks. Don't go near it. It's hot. This is a loving father saying, guys, don't, don't come near the mountain. It's not going to go good for you if you go near the mountain. It's the loving father in the Garden of Eden that says, hey, do whatever you want. Don't, don't go near the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's me telling my boys, hey, you can play wherever you want in the backyard. Don't go near the road. See, here's the problem. The world has convinced us in themselves that anytime God puts a rule or standard down, it's because he's trying to suck the fun out of life. What type of loving God would it be to say, hey, everybody, come right to the mountain and then watch them all die like fleas or something like that? How much of a loving God would it be to say, hey, Adam and Eve, yeah, go eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Bring sin into your life. And then now go eat the tree of life so you can live eternally in a sinful body. What type of loving God is it that takes away all rules and parameters? Saying, go be promiscuous. I'll never come back to hurt you. Sure, go be a drunk. It will be great for your family. A loving God sets up rules and standards to protect us and to watch out for us. This is exactly what he's doing right here. He's saying, be careful, back up. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we see this in the Old Testament, when we see lightnings and thunders and clouds and trumpets, we see trembling, we see fear. Now, what's compared to the New Testament? When we see trumpets in the New Testament, what do we see? That's our call to go home. So, if you hear a trumpet, rejoice. Old Testament trumpet, be careful, stay away from the mountain. New Testament trumpet, guys, we got a one-way ticket to heaven. Clouds, lightnings, thunders. Old Testament, trembling fear. Clouds, lightning, thunder, Revelation 4 and Revelation 11. The response, worship. Because when we see clouds, lightning, and thunders in heavens, it's not going to scare us. We get to see the presence of God. And it's going to make us hit our knees in worship. What changes from Exodus 19 to the New Testament? God didn't change. What changed is we're now approaching this holy God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we were not approaching him through Jesus Christ. We were approaching him through our own washing of our own clothes, through our own purity, through our own don't touch. That's fear. In the New Testament, perfect love casts out fear. So now the trumpet, amen. Lightning, thunderings, clouds, I can't wait to see them. Purity, sure, through God's word. Conviction, yeah, Holy Spirit, lead and guide me. It's a totally different relationship, but still the same God. That's the beauty of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Now, there's a couple little points here we got to say as we get ready to close up. First one, I want you to see this in verse 4. How I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Can you go to Matthew 11, please? 
Matthew 11. Two final points here that I want to show the difference here with the Old Testament and New Testament. Matthew 11. I started teaching Wednesday nights 18 years ago. And I remember the first advice that Jim gave me when I started doing the Wednesday nights 18 years ago. He said, remember, these people coming on Wednesday nights have spent, a lot of them have spent the day working, so they're coming in. They're going to be tired. It's going to be tough. They had kids that they needed to feed. It was tough at school. And so they're coming and they're giving up their evening. So he always encouraged me on Wednesday nights to be encouraging, to be uplifting, because there's always so much going on. I looked at what Jesus said there, excuse me, I should say what God said in verse 4, how he took us on eagle's wings. That's a loving father. One of my favorite verses to quote is 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cared enough for Israel to say, I want to bring you out of slavery and provide for you, as you heard the last few lessons. I'm going to provide for you water. I'm going to provide for you bread. I'm going to provide for you quail. I'm going to give you light and heat at night. I'm going to give you shade and a cloud during the day. Your shoes won't wear out. I will provide for you. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Now, listen to this passage, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, just stop and ask yourself this. At this moment right now, where you're at in your walk with Christ... Do you believe that verse 28, that Jesus is giving you rest? Do you believe in verse 29, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, and that verse 29, you will find rest? Do you believe in verse 30, that his burden is light? See, once again, if we don't believe those passages, we're telling God that he lied. Because Jesus just promised me right here, he'll give me rest, Verse 29, he'll give me rest. And verse 30, I will give you an easy burden. Now, please do note that a burden is still a burden. A yoke is still a yoke. But the idea is that this yoke that is put on you is a yoke that fits you perfectly. I've even heard one pastor teach on this. Usually with the yoke, you're yoked up to another animal. And this other animal that you're yoked up to is Christ himself. So all of a sudden, imagine having to go out and spend your day at work, but you're yoked to Jesus all day. Kind of makes the day fit into perspective a little bit better. If you can't sit here tonight and say, I have rest from Christ, I have an easy yoke, and I have a light burden, I just want to ask you why. And that is not like, what are you doing wrong? I really want to ask you, why? Because if he's promised you this... And we just read in Exodus 19 that he took Israel and eagles' wings and provided for him. What are we missing that we're not walking in rest? Is it just a mental perspective? Is it just a woe is me, that little whiny, oh, my life is awful and horrible? Or are we just really completely missing the scriptures that basically say no matter what we're facing... Christ is all we need. I mean, do we really believe first? Do we really believe Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? 
I mean, do we really believe that just as he provided for Israel food, water, sun, shade, that he'll provide for us today? Part of the reason why we go through the Old Testament is because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that they're supposed to be examples to us. So if God took care of them, he's going to take care of us. If he said, I will take care of Israel and mount them up on eagle's wings, guess what he's going to do for you today? Now, do we believe that? If we don't believe that, I'd really just like you to ponder that question and ask yourself, why? Why is it that I feel that the Lord who provided in the Old Testament cannot provide for me today? Because that's really a lot of times what I see when I'm when I ministering to people throughout the week. It's like they forget who they're serving. They forget the power that is available to them. They forget that they can be pure through the Scriptures. It's like they forget it. That's why Peter, when he wrote in 2 Peter, he goes, I don't find it burdensome to remind you. Remind you. A lot of what we do out here at church is we're just going to remind you of what the Scriptures say. Now, one last point about this that I find very interesting. Keep your hand there in Exodus 19 and look at this passage and just remind you, I hope. Look at what it says here in verse 5. You will be a special treasure. Verse 6, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Special treasure, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Last passage we're going to, can you go with me to 1 Peter 2, please? This just kind of cements. God still wants the same relationship with us now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Does this not sound like what we just read in Exodus 19? 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Exact same thing. Exact same thing. This is the only difference. The intimacy that God wanted in the Old Testament could never fully be grasped because it involved the death of bulls and goats and blood and ritual washings and legalisms, and it could never be attained. God still desires that same relationship with us, but now all of a sudden Jesus is kind of like the only thing you need. So since I now have Christ... Put this whole message together now. Since I now have Christ, He washes me, 1 Corinthians 6. His Holy Spirit reminds me of what not to touch. Psalm 119, His Word gives me purity through Him. Now I'm not afraid of clouds, lightnings, and thunders, because now in the New Testament it just reminds me of heaven and worship. Trumpets in the Old Testament that would make us tremble, now we rejoice, and some days we're like, oh Lord, please let me hear a trumpet, so that way I can be done and go home. Now in the Old Testament, when I see that God that provided the food and the clothes and everything else, I have a God that says, hey, I'm going to actually work beside you. My yoke, I will hitch myself to you throughout the day. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in the Old Testament, Exodus 19, he goes, hey, I want a priesthood. Do you know what happened to a lot of priests in the Old Testament? A lot of them died. Because they couldn't be holy enough. Now, God has called us to be that priesthood, that holy nation, that special people. But it's all through His blood. And we're not only a special people. This is one of my favorite translations. You good old King James. What does it say? 
You're a peculiar people. If you weren't with us a few Wednesdays ago, we talked about how absolutely weird we are as Christians. We are peculiar. I think sometimes as believers, we try so hard to fit in with the world, to hopefully better witness for Christ. When God has just told us from the beginning, you guys are strange. And according to the world, you'll never be fully accepted. We are a peculiar, special people. We need to start living it at. Now, you know all this. Why is there still some emptiness? Why is there still some, there's got to be more? Because look at verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Just be honest. Do you spend your day proclaiming the praises of your Savior? Because if you don't, there's always going to be an emptiness in your life. Think about this. Matthew 28, God told us to go make disciples. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he has told us to proclaim his praises. If he's told us to do those things, and we're not doing those things, there's always going to be an emptiness in us because we're not doing what our Lord and Savior asked us to do. A lot of times if someone comes up to me and they start saying that they feel a little discouraged in their walk with Christ or they feel a little bleak, when's the last time you shared your faith? That, that's an immediate pump up, I'll tell you that right now. When's the last time you just said, Lord, I'm just going to proclaim your praises? That's an immediate, wow, Lord, get my perspective back. But yet if we're not sharing the faith, if we're not proclaiming the praises, and those are the things that God asks us to do, why do we wonder why we feel so weak? Why do we wonder why we feel so kind of pointless? Maybe because we're doing everything except the most important thing. That's what's so important about this. You will only truly find fulfillment, and it will not be through your spouse or your kids or your house or your job. It will not be through any of that. You will find fulfillment when you live a life that is disciple-making and proclaiming the praises of God. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, Lord, now I get it. Now I get it. And then every day when you get up, it's just an excitement of, who do I get to share with today? Who do I get to proclaim today? The praises of you. Because that's my purpose. And then when that purpose is fulfilled, now I see the big picture. Anything else? Yeah, you feel good for a moment, but you're still going to walk away with an emptiness. Because God has designed you, He has created you to bring glory to Him. And unless we're doing that, we're always going to be missing out on what He said. All right, does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything? Yeah, Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. What would Jeremiah say? Well, Jeremiah would say, let the country go down the tubes. Jeremiah is the one that actually got up and prophesied, guys, take the burden, take the slavery, go to Egypt. Remember that? Jeremiah was the one that said, this is the judgment of the Lord. And Jeremiah said, the best thing we could do is accept the judgment of the Lord, take it, because that's God's will for our country. And so Jeremiah said, go to Egypt. And if you remember correctly in Jeremiah, all the false prophets stood up and said, nope, nope, 
God has not said go to Egypt. God has not said. God said he will redeem this country. God has said that he will fix this country. And Jeremiah said, no, God said he won't. So I guess what would Jeremiah say? Jeremiah would say, accept the discipline of the Lord, which is not a real popular message in Christianity, especially Christianity in America, but that's what Jeremiah would say. It, it is a tremendous load to bear, and that's why Jeremiah also ended up in a well, because the people didn't want to hear him, and they threw him in the muck. That's also why Jeremiah wanted to quit as a prophet, because the burden was so much. Uh, you know, if you have to pick somebody in the Old Testament to not be, pick Jeremiah. That, I mean, that's the guy that, as far as we can tell, chapter after chapter, never had a single bit of fruit in his ministry. And his sole ministry was to be the one to say, guys... Hey, I got more bad news today. That was Jeremiah. So, but you know what? Sometimes you need Jeremiah to step up and say, the reality of this is, God said, his discipline is coming. Be prepared for it. So, nice question. I wish you wouldn't have asked it, though, Marcus. <laughs> Could have thrown me a softball one right there or something like that. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, as we just read Exodus 19, you're still the same God. You demand holiness. You, you demand obedience. You demand purity. Lord, we can't do that. Thank you for showing us the New Testament, that our obedience is through you, that our purity is through you. You have washed us. You have kept us holy, Lord. Lord, thank you. Lord, you have called us as a priesthood, a nation, a special, peculiar people. Help us to take a stand with that. Help us to realize we are different. We will be different. And Lord, help us to proclaim your praises and all we say and do. And Lord, to go out there and make disciples and all we say and do. We love you. We thank you and praise you. And if there's someone coming in here tonight whose yoke is not easy, whose burden is not light, show them, reveal to them, that you are there to carry the yoke with them. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Hey, we're going to have a time of prayer up.